0: isn't that a wonderful testimony that your life has been made new yeah man that uh is there anybody else who can relate how your past has been erased that's what i love about our god is that um He's nothing like humanity in it that man will hold your past over you. God says, I wipe it all away. That when he looks at you, he looks at you as a new creation, new creation, new creation. I love that. I love that because when the Bible talks about newness, it's really not newness in the sense in what we think of it. Um, when we think about newness and Him making us new, we think about an upgrade. It's kind of like upgrading a phone, like having the latest iPhone, the latest technological uh, tool. But the word "new" in this sense, in this sense, is is this word called "kainas"? Say "kainas." "Kainas" is new in that it is something that you've never seen before. So, for instance. Um, uh, we've got three kids uh, and, um, and all three of our kids uh, it wasn't like once we had child number two that child number two was an upgrade from number one. No, child number two was a new being that we'd never seen before. And it wasn't that child number three, although she thinks that she's an upgrade, it wasn't that she was an upgrade. She's just something that we'd never seen before. I've got a new grandbaby something that we've never seen before when God makes you new it is not that he went back and upgraded whom you used to be so that when he looks at you look man look I fixed you up now God doesn't do fixer uppers God looked at you and says man look at that new being Look how beautiful you are. Look how clean you are. Look how sinless you are. Look how I wiped it all away. Forgot all of your sins. Forgot about all that you used to be. Man, man upgrades. God says, behold, I make all things new. Yeah. Yeah. That's why you ought to be okay letting your past go. And you ought not allow anybody else to hold it over your head. And the next time that they do, say, baby, I don't even know what you're talking about. My God made me new. The person you're talking about, oh, that person no longer exists. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. God, thank you so much. For your faithfulness. For your goodness, for the newness, Lord, that has come to us through you. God, we are so undeserving of who you are and what you've done. But while we were yet in our sin, (laughs) You died for us. Greater love. Such a great love that we have never experienced. that you came for us. You didn't leave us to deal with the repercussions of our sin. But you came and not only did you come, you suffered in place of us. You died and got up for us. And because of that, Lord, we have life. And God, we are working really hard to give you our life, our love, and our all. Thank you for being you. Now, God, for this time of worship through your word, I pray that you would fill me. Use me, Lord, for your purposes. For God, I am aware that I am unable. I'm also unworthy. God, I am willing. So God, I pray that you use this willing servant, that your will be done in and through me. And if nothing else, God, please, I pray that you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart God, I pray that it will be acceptable in your sight. For God, you are our strength and our redeemer. We love you, Lord. And it's in your name we do humbly pray. Let every heart say amen. Amen. Amen, Amen. And amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you to the praise team. Listen, man, I am super, super appreciative of you guys pouring yourselves out uh, this morning. Selfishly, I, I benefit um, just for your great gift, uh, the musicians as well, all of you guys. I am, I am grateful, um, and, uh, and I'm so glad that you guys are here moving forward. Um, uh, that um, Yeah, man, we, we've got you guys, and, and y'all not allowed to leave. Uh, amen. Amen, amen. Yeah. Well, my brothers and sisters, uh, today we start the second installment of our series entitled Spring Cleaning. Spring Cleaning, man. And uh, we talked about last week how uh, we are on the precipice of a new season of life. That um, we have all gone through a winter, both um, literally coming out of winter into the spring season, but also figuratively. Uh, the world has been in an, an extended winter, right? This pandemic has, has done to us what a winter does to you. Winter, winter forces you indoors, it isolates you, it hinders your ability to move. Uh, I share with you that there is a condition uh, of the winter blues that people experience and it, it has been elongated over time because of the winter season. Last week, we talked about the fact that in order to begin spring cleaning, one of the first things that you must do is you must go from room to room to identify the greatest area of your need. You begin there, then you can conquer your greatest need with the help and the power and the unction of God. That then will give you the confidence to move in victory for the rest of the work. Last week was moving room to room. Today, I want to talk about once you get to those rooms, one of the first things then you've got to do is you've got to declutter and make room. Declutter. Somebody say declutter and make room. And make room, man. If you have your Bibles, I ask that you open them up with me to the book of Second Timothy chapter uh, 2. Also, if you're watching virtually, do the very same or launch your app or it will be available for you on the screen. The book of 2 Timothy chapter 2. We'll be reading from the New Living Translation of the NLT today. So it may read a little bit differently for what you got in hand. But trust me, the principles remain the same. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Begin it at verse 20, just verse 20 and 21, two short verses. This is what you'll hear, spring cleaning, declutter. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Amen. From his brimstone bed at the break of day, a walking the devil is gone. To visit his snug little farm called the earth, to see how his stop goes on, over the hill and over the dell, and he went over the plain. And back and forth he switches his tail as a gentleman switches his cane. And how then was the devil dressed? Oh, he was in his Sunday's best. His coat was red and his breeches was blue, and there was a hole where his tail came through. I love that little poem by Samuel Corge Taylor. It is not necessarily precise theologically, but it always does point out something that's true. And that is, the book of Job tells us this. There's an enemy, the devil, who is prowling around trying to find out how to disrupt your reality. The devil is busy and just the same as God has a plan for you and I, You need to know that Satan has a plan for you and I. Paul alludes to this at another passage in the book of Ephesians. Note that Paul calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. What this simply means is this, is that Satan is responsible for influencing environments. Yeah, the prince of the power of the air. He's responsible for influencing environments. Let me bring this home for you in the modern day. Uh, if you are on social media, they have these things or these people they call influencers. And... Instagram and other social media platforms will hire influencers to promote their products. They will put on their clothes. They will put on their makeup or whatever their product is. These influencers will do so because these influencers have a huge following. And so they figure that if people see these influencers with their products, then their followers will do what followers do. Follow that if they see them with their clothing, with their attire, with their vehicles, with their makeup, whatever it may be, if the influencers are doing this, their followers will do what followers do, follow. And this is what Paul is talking about, when he speaks of uh, Satan as being the prince of the power of the air, he's aware that there are people on the planet who are subject to be followers, who will only do, who will will be subject to doing what followers do, and that is follow the influence of others. And so what you need to see is that these influencers are there simply to do a couple of things. They want to have you absorb daily in their content Content so that they can influence your attitude, your emotions, and your perspective. They want to influence your attitude, your emotions, and your perspective. This is what Paul is talking about with the enemy when he is the prince of the power of the air. He influences the environment. I know we think of him as this vicious creature who comes in to snatch and to steal. That he does, but he doesn't do it so violently the way that we think. He simply comes in gently and influences and hopes that if you just give in a little bit here and a little bit there, then eventually what you'll do through his influence is do what followers do. You will. Follow, follow, follow. This is what Paul is talking about in our passage today. He is largely alarming his mentee, Timothy, of this reality that influencers are working through and out the church. I, I encourage you all the time to read the entire book of 2 Timothy, but, but if you when you do, read chapter 2. It's essential. It's a lot of good stuff there, and some of it you're even familiar with. Yeah, things that you probably don't even notice there you're familiar with. Paul gives a great prescription for uh, the design of influencers and the battle of the followers. He says this in verse 15. He says, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly explains the word of truth y'all not nodding your heads because y'all not used to it in that translation let me tell you the way that you're accustomed to it in the King James what he says is this study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth that's the same passage just in a different translation Paul says listen there are influencers working in the world or influencers working in our culture and in the church and what you need to do to combat the influencers is to study to show your self-approved. Now, here's what you need to know about this, this old King James language which is why I read it in the NLT verse uh, first, when he's saying, study, show thyself approved, he's not talking about studying as in reading, as in been studious in school. Study there is actually more accurately uh, described as, as work hard, work at it. Work at it. Spend some time. There's another verse that says, you know, work out your soul salvation with fear and trembling. What that's not telling you is that you are saved by works. What it is saying that once you get saved, there's work to do. Amen? Amen. So Paul said... Man, there are influences working against the church, and what you need to do to combat the influence of the enemy is this. Man, you got to work at this thing. You got to put in this time. You got to work at it, because if you don't do, then what the enemy is going to do is influence your environment. And before you know it, he'll get you to compromise just a little bit. And if you compromise just a little bit, man, my granny used to say it like this, baby, if you give a, if you give a boy a boy, you say another word, I ain't going to say it. But if you give a boy a rope, you think he's are a cowboy. I, y'all know where I'm coming from. But if you just give him an inch, he'll take a mile. Don't give him none. Don't give him none. Now, although, check this out, study does not mean study as in school, as in reading. Paul does say, one of the ways that you learn how to work at it is through the Word of God. So work hard at it. Study to show yourself approved. You do something. By rightly dividing the word of truth. How do you work at it, man? Open up the Bible. Read the Bible. Read the word of God. The word of God will tell you how you need to work at it, what you need to do, how you need to read. You'll learn the character of your God. You'll learn. Here's what I love about this, man. Uh, um, uh, when it comes to... Uh, count- um, they are not... When Secret Service bills, they don't do so by studying. They do so by studying real bills. Therefore, when a counterfeit comes, they'll know it's a counterfeit, not because they've seen counterfeits, because they know what the real is. We rightly divide the word of truth and learn the character and the nature of God, because when something fake phony when something that is unlike God comes our way we'll know there ain't no God in that day. Listen I know it's clever I know it's a good cliche I know that there's something different about it but I know what my God looks like. I know how my God sounds. I know what my God requires. I know what my God is asking and I will not compromise even if it's going to help me to get ahead a little bit here and a little bit there because if I compromise I'm allowing the enemy and inviting him into my space, influencing my very nature. Don't compromise a bit. Study the word of God. Learn who God is through his word. Then you will be able to determine who God is and who God ain't. Amen? Y'all give me a second. And what happens then is this. You'll learn then, once you learn and study who God is, is it is necessary to do that because there's a difference between what is real and what is true. Yeah, yeah. There's a difference between what is real and what is true. Everything that is real isn't necessarily true, but everything that is true is real. Okay, okay, let me prove my point. Let me prove my point. Um, A lie is real. Oh, that's a real lie. But it ain't true. Yeah. Fear is Real, but it ain't true because the Lord said he has not given us the spirit of fear. what? But a power, love and a sound mind. Everything that is real isn't necessarily true. So in our world, what they were dealing with that Paul is talking about was a bunch of situations where there were some real things happening, but they were not true happening right here if you see in verse 17 and 18 he mentions hymenaeus and philetus who were going around listen to what they were teaching they were teaching that the resurrection already happened now listen remember here's what i said you got to know the bible so that when you hear what's fake you'll know that that ain't god to the untrained ear, it would be clear because this is post-resurrection that maybe Hymenius and Philetus are correct because Jesus has already been resurrected. But that's not what they were preaching. They weren't preaching about Jesus' resurrection. They were preaching about the resurrection of everybody. The reason they were preaching about the resurrection of everybody is because Greeks did not believe that any good thing could happen in the flesh. So, what they then were doing is not only preaching that the resurrection had happened to everybody, but they were also preaching that when Christ was raised, he was not raised in the flesh. Paul said, I know. About my God, I know about my Jesus, and when I hear you preaching that, I know that that's not real. It may be real to you, but I know that it's not true. And it may sound good, and it may be appealing to some, and it may be highly philosophical in their thinking. But Paul recognized, yeah, that that's real. Jesus did raise from the grave, but it's not all the way true. Because when he raised up, we talked about this last week, Thomas was able to stick his fingers in his nail scarred hands, his hands on his pierced side. We saw that when he rose up, not only did he raise up, but he raised up fully in the flesh defeating the grave. Everything that's real isn't true. Everything that's true is real. So Paul then makes his recommendation for Timothy and for the church in Ephesus to have this spring cleaning of sorts. He says, listen, in order to to understand what's taking place so that we can move forward, last week we said, go to every room, search it and see what needs to be handled. Discover your greatest need. But here's what inevitably happens. When you begin the process of unearthing, pulling the things out that need to be dealt with, Ultimately, you're going to have a mess. And here's what's happened over time. You did this last year. You pulled everything out. You got it all out in front of you. You was ready to tackle it all, and you got overwhelmed. You push it all back again. You, you didn't even deal with it. I remember, I remember as a kid, man, I, I, would, I would have to clean my room. And um, and and I mastered the art of making my room appear to be clean. Because when you would walk in the room, it would be spotless. And the reality was that it was clean, but the truth was that it was not. The reality, based upon perception, is it looked clean, but the truth was it was still a hot mess. Because if you simply got down on your knees and looked up under my bed everything that was on the floor found its way up under the bed and some of the things that couldn't fit up under the bed found its way in the closet on the outside it looked as though it was clean that was the reality but the truth was oh it was still a hot mess it was not clean it was still too cluttered and it was so cluttered that i was overwhelmed and did not know what to do with it you think i'm talking about cleaning up houses right i'm talking about our lives sometimes our lives get so cluttered that, and so overwhelmed with things and with issues and so from the outside you look good. You've got the proper language. You've got the good sayings. You dress up real nice. But if I take a moment and sit and listen and look up under the surface of your existence if I open up the doors of the closet of your heart I'll discover that it may look real that you're clean and dressed up really nice but when I look at the totality of your life Oh, baby, you a mess. You a mess, man. You you really cluttered, man. You need a whole lot of work to be done in your life. Don't feel guilty about it because we all find ourselves in this place where we look like we are okay, but there's some things really going on that we've got to do so. We allow junk to pile up. This is the blessing of the last 13 to 14 months. We've discovered just how cluttered we've been living yeah, yeah. Come on. that all the things that you've been devoting your time to were not necessary yeah. yeah. and please yeah. i hear it over and over again do not pray for things to return to normal yeah, yeah. 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 i pray the pre-pandemic living never returns I pray that we remember the value of having additional time with our families. I pray that we don't spend so much time. I don't know about you, man. My wife and I, we talk about it. We didn't saved a whole lot of money during this pandemic. Not running back and forth at different events from here and there. Man, before you know it, you discover this is what I needed the entire time. I just needed to be Here with family and 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 loving one another and not out there trying to please people who don't care about me everything that i need is right here what the pandemic has taught us is we've got to declutter our lives and make room for what's most important and what's most important in our lives is not having a high social calendar. It is not working from sunup to sundown. It is not spending all of our days running around with frivolous activities. None of those things are valuable and/or important. What's important is taking our chance and living our lives the best that we can. Um, talk to a young man, talk to a young man a while ago. Y- y'all know some of y'all know I was working at Toyota for a short period of time. And in a training class, there was a young man, significantly younger than me. And, uh, and he was asking questions because at this stage of my life, I am, I guess, considered an old head. And so he wanted advice from an OG, he said. And uh, after I sat quietly saying some ungodly things about him in my head, I then responded to his question. He asked me, OG, oh, what do you think that I should do with this phase of my life? He was only about 20, 21 He says, what should I do? I says, don't make this job your life. Because here's what the world does. We work 25 to 30 years to then say we're going to live. I don't think that's what God created us for. For you to wait until you can't live to then say, I'm going to try to live. If that means you gotta sacrifice a couple of dollars, live today. If that means you won't have some of your creature comforts, live today. If that means that you will be living from month to month, praying for provisions, live today. Don't sacrifice your life trying to hope that one day you'll possibly live long enough to enjoy something that you may never see. Tomorrow's not promised, only today is. And don't clutter today's life hoping that you'll have a proper, prosperous tomorrow. Live today. So Paul, Paul, Paul goes on. He says, listen, here's, here's, here's how you declutter your life. He gives us this description. He says, there's a big house. And in this house, you've got these utensils. Some are gold and silver. Then there's some that are wood and clay. He says, the gold and silver, those are for special purposes. The wood and clay, uh, those, those are for everyday common use. So what you do then is you've got to figure out what you're going to do. There's got to be a separation because gold and silver and wood and clay don't occupy the same space. For instance, man, some of you may have fine china at home. If you've got fine china at home, you don't stick it in the box with your plasticware. Your fine china has a reserved space in your home. It's a place where you go to it for special occasions. Paul says, listen, there's, there's, in this house, there's special tools. It's the gold and silver. There's not so special things. There is wood and clay. Over the past 13 to 14 months, We've had to make the decision how, check this out, we want to be used as either gold and silver or wood and clay. Now for a moment, let me bring some integrity to this text. Let me tell you, this isn't exactly what Paul is talking about. Paul is combating the teaching of these false teachers, uh, Hymenaeus and Philetus here. And what he's talking about—the gold and silver—are those who are faithful followers of Jesus Christ in His word, and the wood and clay are those who are not so faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, what Paul is then saying, then, literally in this text, is that there are some people whom God's going to use for something great, who have the capacity, the potential to be used greatly for God. And that there are some people. Who's just going to fade away, just existing, just for everyday common use? The question that I have for you, New Horizon, both those of you who are here in person and virtually, is how do you want to be used? Do you want to be used as gold or silver, or would you prefer to be used as wood and clay? All right. uh, y'all, y'all don't know the difference then, do you? You you really don't know the difference between what gold and silver requires and what wood and clay is. Can I give you an example about the difference between a life that is gold and silver, wood and clay? Here's what you need to know. Gold and silver require something of you. Wood and clay require very little of you. Gold and silver is for special purposes. Wood and clay, not for so much. Special purpose requires planning and preparation. You got to work at it. Everyday common use requires passive productivity. You just sit around waiting, hoping eventually that something might take place to benefit you. It requires little to no effort at all. Uh, special purpose requires strength and stick All everyday common use is slothful and shiftless. You ain't got no purpose. You just wake up every day lazily hoping that a melody might fall from the sky and benefit you. No, that's not the way that God intends you to live. Special purposes requires a hope-filled heart. But common everyday use is like a hole in a head. Man, there is absolutely no use for it at all. God is asking right here through this passage of Scripture is how do you want to be remembered, used in this planet as a person who is of special, unique use or just everyday common use? Shifting around hoping that something might come your way. My point is this. While you're here on this earth, Daily, you're going to be asked that question. Is what do you want your life to look like? And your response to that question each and every day determines whether it's going to be for special purpose, gold and silver, or common everyday use, wood and clay. Every day, you're faced with that question. If you're going to Netflix and chill yourself to death, or if you're going to spend some time and open up a book and refine your craft if you if you are going to maximize your credit cards by spending shiftlessly getting things and things and more things or if you're going to save up and provide a legacy for your children each and every day the things that you're doing you're asking and answering that question about what you are working towards special purposes or are you working for everyday common use, are you planning and preparing for a bright future or Are you just hoping that tomorrow might bring something away? Here's what you need to know. And I've told you this before. Every miracle of God requires two parts. There's the divine part and the human part. God's always on his job. He's wondering, brothers and sisters, are you going to clock in? God's always working. He's wondering, are you going to show up? And here's the thing. I could spend a whole lot of time talking about what a wood and clay lifestyle is, but I'd be wasting your time because I know nobody in here, nobody watching virtually wants to live a wood and clay lifestyle. Everybody in here wants to be created. Know that you're created for special purposes. So why don't I just highlight for you real quickly what Paul talks about, what a special purpose life looks like. There's three things, and I'm going to take my seat. The first thing is this. Paul says that when you are created for a special purpose, what you'll recognize is that you've been set apart for God. Yeah, you've been set apart for God. It begins with this. Paul says, check this out. He says, um, when you recognize then there's a separation that takes place, then you cleanse yourself from the latter, which is the wood and the clay. Cleanse yourself. Remove the wood and clay from your life. Remove the wood and clay from your existence. Remove it. Um, Cleanse. Cleanse there is... um, It literally means a ritual behavior of spiritual cleansing, a ritualistic behavior of spiritual cleansing. So Paul is saying in order to be set apart from God, it is a spiritual event that each and every day you choose to be used by God. Each and every day, ritually, you choose to be used by God. Well, what does that look like then? Ritually, rather than waking up and cutting on the TV, ritually, I drop down to my knees for prayer because I want to be set apart for God ritually rather than spending my days letting the box speak to me I open my Bible and let God speak to me ritually I cleanse myself from the latter ritually then what happens then is when I am set apart from God not only am I set apart but also I'm set apart from those and those things that are not like God yeah Okay. I'm talking to those of you who recognize that your circles don't necessarily reflect your purpose That when you are around people who don't speak your language, who do not have your hopes, who do not have your dreams, who do not have your goals, who do not have your aspirations, and you're thinking that you're weird. No, baby, you are set apart. And that there are certain people who recognize that I'm set apart. And here's the thing. When you recognize that you are set apart, don't apologize for being different. Simply wake up every day and be who God called you to be. There. Let me, let, me, let me share this, though, because there's, there's a delicate balance here that we have to juggle. And, and I want you all to hear my heart here, because I, I, I've been grieved over this the past week. I talked to, to George and my wife about it. Being set apart does not mean that we dehumanize people. So much is happening in our world today. A significant number of deaths locally that people that I'm directly connected to are impacted by and I'm seeing their grief and it's breaking my heart but what's breaking my heart is not just that they're grieving it's also the response of not all people but church people yeah. 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 that we say these words them people you those people as if we could ever be separated from them. Separation ought never lead to dehumanization. Because the moment that you dehumanize people is the moment that you become a part of the oppressive system that created them in the first place. I love it. James Baldwin, I've been reading a lot of James Baldwin lately. James Baldwin said this. He said, the greatest lie in the nation began when a certain group of people recognized that because they were Christians that there were certain things that they could not do. And so in order to do what they wanted to do it required them to strip a certain people of their humanity because if they were not human then they could treat them however they wanted to. Now of course Baldwin was talking about America's greatest sin in slavery, but please my brothers and sisters, We can always, especially those of the Ebony Q, we can always point our fingers at those who are the ancestors and those who help to perpetuate that stereotype and those lies. Because if we ever get to the point where we simply point at them because of their perpetuation of those stereotypes and those lies, we dehumanize them as well. Who we are and what God has called us to be, separating ourselves, is to be something uniquely different. Something uniquely different. That when I look at those people, when I look at the ones who perpetuate the stereotypes, I don't point my finger at them. I recognize that I'm a part of the very same body of Christ. Right. And when I look at the people who are who are slaying our brothers and sisters in the streets, whether they are police officers or whether they are people from our very own communities. I cannot point my finger at them and look down at them because I am a part of the very same community and the very same body. They are created in the image of God just like I am. Separation can never lead to dehumanization because when we do, we oppress people the very same way. The right way for us as believers of God is to look at people regardless of what they do, how they act, what they respond, what sin they commit, is to look at them and say behold I see someone who was created in the image of God and I tell you what when you begin to treat people as image bearers rather than as lower than human beings then we can see change in people yes you are special yes you are set apart for God but you are no different you are no better than those who have yet to recognize their purpose First thing you gotta be set apart from God. The second thing is then if you are set apart for God, then you are useful to God. Say so useful to God. Yeah. yeah. Remember this. Remember that whether or not you choose it, you're gonna be used somehow. Yeah. And you're gonna be used either for noble purposes or noble purposes or ignoble purposes or for special use or common everyday use. Mm-hmm. You've got to determine then how you wanna be used. And I just believe that everybody under the sound of my voice wants to be used by God. So I'm set apart for God so that God can use me because I want to be used by God. I want God's glory to shine through me that no matter where I am, people will know who I'm connected to and whose I am. I want to be used by God. I want to walk in environments and places and spaces around people and that they'll know the God that I'm connected to and that people will want to change. And not only do they want to change, but they want the God that I know. I want to be used by God. I want to be set apart for God. I want to be useful to God so that God can fulfill his mission of redeeming the world through me. I want to be a part of that plan. I want the world to be better when I leave here. I want my children to have a legacy that's better when I leave here. I want to be a part of the legacy that Reverend Mahan created and that Bishop Smith picked up and that I picked up behind him. I want to make sure that the legacy that we leave behind is one that is special, that is useful, that our children's children will be a part to be proud of you got to be set apart for God you got to be useful to God and then lastly this got to be prepared to do any good work for God so here's how it works man it's a system if you're set apart for God then by very nature you are useful to God because you've then determined that God can use you when you decide to step away what you're saying is okay God I am at your service God, do with me what you can. Take my hands, take my feet, take my voice, take my limb, whatever it is, Lord, any way that you want to use me, God, I'm here to be used by you. Yeah. But then when you do so, you are prepared to do any good work for God. Yeah. All right, um, I, I call it uh, the paradox of providence. Mm-hmm. Paradox, that, that sounds confusing. Don't no let it confuse you. Basically, it means this um, once you are set apart for God you're used by God. The very things that God has called you to do will happen by the very nature of applying the first two principles to your lives. Um, If you're set apart, if you're useful to God, that is not that you are necessarily laying your dreams and your hopes on the sidelines hoping that God will eventually give you a little piece of something that you can be proud of. No, the way that it works is this. When you make God your priority, it is not that you are setting aside your hopes. It is that you are setting God in the middle of your hopes. And so what you then find yourself doing is that whatever you are committing yourself to, here's the paradox. No matter what you do, you find yourself getting and receiving exactly what you hoped for from the very beginning. Because what God then does is he becomes a very central part of every function and focus of your life um at your job you want to do well at your job when job when god is the focal point when you are set apart and you're useful to god then god elevates you because you're a focal point he's the focal point so that you're doing all things as unto the lord the paradox of providence when 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 god is working in you and through you if it is if it's for a little shines in the back if it's on the basketball court then what you do is you make god a focal point of how you train how you work how you live how you commit yourself to the time I'm in the gym, and when you do, God sees to it the paradox that although you are working to please him, God is blessing you no matter where you are. You then are prepared to do any good work. Or, or, or man, the old, old guys on the block used to say it like this, man, uh, uh, stay ready so you ain't got to get ready. When you're connected to God, when you make God a very prominent part of everything that you do, you find yourself ready to be able to accomplish and achieve anything that comes your way. And I know, man, the world tells us that if we just focus on doing things to promote ourselves, to get things to go in a certain way, then we'll be able to be elevated by our own strength. My brothers and sisters, what I'm telling you is that God works differently. And God works so much so that God will open doors for you. God will bless you. God will close doors need to be closed if you make him the central focus of all that you do or you know it better like this seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you it's the paradox of providence God will provide for you God will help you, God will look out for you he will keep you right when you need him to be there if you trust him in the midst of every thing that he's working for But it all begins with knowing who he is. When you know who he is, in verse 26, Paul says, You then escape the trap of the devil. You escape the plan of the enemy. When you know him, he sets you apart, he makes you useful, and he prepares you for anything that comes your way. You escape the trap of the devil declutter your life declutter your life and make room for him amen amen amen